What a great day it is to be able to celebrate mothers. I'm glad that we're with each of you this morning. There are a few moments each year like Mother's Day that are so unifying and also unique. And we're excited uh, today to celebrate specifically the birth of Wyatt Charles Heineman, born Saturday, May 6th. You can see the rose on the table. Thank you, Kevin. Um, Wyatt Charles Heineman was born to Matt and Ashley. He is the grandson of Delmar and Rita Wanger, nephew to Anthony and Brandy Wanger, and cousin to Callie Wanger. And a number of them were at our eight o'clock service, but are any of those family members here right now as well? I couldn't remember if they're at 9.15, nope. But we celebrate with them, we celebrated at eight o'clock. Mother's Day is a unique day. Commercially, we see lots of, kind, lots of things on Mother's Day. We see uh, commercials and coupons and deals and uh, balloons in the store, lots of celebrations around the concept of Mother's Day. And rightfully here at GCC, we join in that celebration to honor and recognize women on this day. We have a couple of ways that you've already probably seen uh, to celebrate mothers this morning. As you came in both entrances, there's balloons all over the place, big arches, and we designed those so you could take photos with family or friends. Um, some of those balloons decide to pop when they want to, and so if you hear a really loud bang in the middle of the service, please don't be alarmed. We'll let you know if you need to be alarmed, but it's probably a balloon. And if you happen to be taking a photo by these balloons and one explodes and confetti goes everywhere, you didn't win anything. I'm sorry to say. However, if you are a woman here this morning, you do get Byler's Donuts. Anybody already gotten one? Yes, a couple hands went up. You got them before the service. Nobody cheered when I said you get Byler's Donuts. Is nobody excited? I'm going to guess some of you aren't cheering because you know your husband's just going to steal it from you. Husbands, don't do that. These can be picked up in the cafe as you leave this morning. Uh, we just, uh, it's a small, very small token of appreciation for you. And then last, uh, you can see several dioramas on display in the cafe made by GCC Kids, grades K through five. They were tasked with the opportunity of telling the story of Jesus through the art of diorama. You'll wanna check those out before you leave. I would imagine were I to take a poll that there are many different feelings and emotions tied to Mother's Day, and it's a little bit different for everybody in the room. It can be a difficult set of emotions for anyone, a celebration of life and love for some, but at times that can also feel lonely. Some have already had to say goodbye to their mothers. Some have dreams of being a mother that aren't or won't be realized. Some mothers experience pain on this day of memories connected to children they've said goodbye to. There are a lot of ways that Mother's Day can impact someone, and we believe it's important to recognize them all, so we say this. To those who gave birth this year to their first child, we celebrate with you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day and wear the badge of food stains, we appreciate you. To those who experienced any loss this year, whether through miscarriage, failed adoptions, or running away, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, we walk with you. Forgive us when we say foolish things, we don't mean to make it harder. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, and spiritual moms, we need you and are grateful for you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we feel that joy with you. To those who have disappointment, heartache, are mothering on your own, or have distance with your children, we pray with you. 
To those who lost their mothers this year, we grieve with you. To those who have lived through driving tests, medical tests, and the overall testing of motherhood, we're better off for having you in our midst. To those who are single and desire to be married and mothering your own children, we thank you for investing in the lives of others and their children. To those who step-parent, we walk with you on these complex paths. To those who will have emptier nests in the upcoming year, we grieve and rejoice with you. And to those who right now are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising, we anticipate with you. For every woman, we collectively say thank you, we love you, and we honor you this Mother's Day. So right now, I would invite everybody to join with me in celebrating the women around them. Would you bow your heads with me right now and join in prayer? Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning with humility in our worship, asking for your continued patience with us in our humanity and sinfulness. And for this very thing, we also th say thank you. Father, thank you for loving us with an unconditional love and an undeserved grace. For constantly being there when we walk the other way, when we try and do it on our own. Lord, thank you for reminding us consistently and endlessly that you love us. Thank you for a place to come together on Mother's Day and celebrate you and worship you and praise your name, but also thank the women around us. Lord, we pray also a special prayer of gratitude for the birth of Wyatt and his addition to this family. We pray that he would grow in favor with God and with man, and as he grows, men and women would come around him here at the church and in his family, including his parents, to help him see Christ and to meet him at a young age. We also thank you specifically for the women we just celebrated. Thank you for putting women in and around our lives to show us your truth and who love and care for us, for the compassion and grace, patience and strength that we see in these godly women designed to follow you. Thank you for the example set by so many before so that so many can come behind. We also right now pray as we continue our worship for open spirits and willing hearts to hear your truth spoken from scripture, that we would set aside our selfishness and allow a molding of our will to yours Father, we commit our worship service to you, and in your powerful name right now, we pray all these things together. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I would encourage you to open them right now to 2 Kings. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, but you have a smart device that has a Bible app on it, go ahead and open it up and move to 2 Kings. It'll also be projected on the screens on either side of me. But again, this morning, we will be in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 4, and I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 7 from the NIV. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to you, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a little oil. Elisha said, Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons, pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and afterward shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one, but he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil, pay your debts, you and your sons can live on what is left. 
Thank you very much, Pastor David. I want to welcome you all on this Mother's Day weekend. So good to have you all here, all of you who are here, and a special uh, word of greeting to all those folks who are in the overflow here in the building. We welcome you as well, and glad that you can be part of us, and those of you who are with us online, and a special shout out to our parking lot crew today uh, who are doing a good job at getting folks parked as we come together for this great celebration of Mother's Day. And make sure you do not forget <laughs> to get your donuts. I thought that would fly better. I don't know. It's, the response you gave me is like I get at home with the girls. But anyway, oh well. Make sure you eat those Viler's donuts. We don't want any leftovers. <clears throat> That's surprising for me to say that. But anyway, <laughs> I want you to repeat with me a phrase today that we're going to tuck away in our minds and we're going to come back to later on in the sermon. Little is much when God is in it. Say that with me. Little is much when God is in it. Now, that is more than a pithy saying. It is more than a gospel song. This is biblical truth. And we're going to unpack this biblical truth today as we continue our study in the series, Stories of His Power. The story that we're looking at today is kind of an obscure story. It's not one that's normally uh, read or studied or preached upon. 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. And yet it's an incredibly powerful story of God at work. We see in this story three different things happening. We see the miracles of God at work. After all, he takes a little bit of oil and he multiplies it into a whole lot of oil. Secondly, we see the mercy of God at work in this story. God is merciful to a widow. God has a special place in his heart for widows. He's compassionate to the needs of widows, and his mercy is on full display here. But also we see in this story the marvelous provision of God. To a woman in need, to her sons, God powerfully provides what she needs at just the right time. Now, to understand these truths, to put them together, and to also figure out what in the world they mean for us today, we need to go back to the story and understand a couple things about this story, its context and its background. And all of that is found in verse 1 of 2 Kings chapter 4. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Now that verse is full of all kinds of truth for us. First of all, we know that we're dealing with a widow who has two sons. Secondly, we know that her late husband himself was a prophet. Now, as a prophet, we're told here that he was a member of the company of prophets. The company of prophets had a senior leader, a senior prophet. His name is Elisha, and he also shows up in this story. Now, a company of prophets would be roughly equivalent to what we call today a seminary. It's where those who with a gift of prophecy would go to learn to be a prophet. And their chief professor would be Elisha, the head prophet of this company of prophets. Now, what we also know in this story is that this particular gentleman, when he died, left a debt. And you know, when we read those kinds of things, we think, well, what in the world was he spending money on? How much debt did he leave? And we immediately go in our minds to this enormous amount of money. And, and I want to say to you this morning, that's not necessarily the case in this story. Remember that we're dealing with a man who was a prophet. And in the Baal-worshipping, idol-worshipping culture in which he lived, understand that prophets were both making sacrifices and they were being persecuted. He didn't make a lot of money, and whatever he rightfully could have in this culture 
was denied him because he was a prophet of God and he was persecuted. So the truth of the matter is he probably didn't have to spend a lot of money before he ran out of money and therefore had to go to the money lender and get some money just to make ends meet. What we know is that when he died, there was a debt. And understand this, in a patriarchal society like Second Kings, when your husband died, you were in trouble as a widow. You lost your livelihood. In fact, you immediately became impoverished, which leads us then to his creditor. His creditor is going to come, and his creditor is going to take the sons of this woman and place them into servitude. Now, to our 21st century North American ears, that sounds really strange. But it was the custom and the law of the day that if you could not repay your debt and you had children who were old enough, the way that debt was satisfied is the creditors could take your children, they could place them into slavery or servitude for two, three, four, five, six, seven years, no more than seven, in order to get that debt paid. And that is the situation that this widow in 2 Kings chapter 4 is facing. I think you'd agree with me. This is a desperate situation. She is in dire straits. She is full of fear. She is frantic to save her boys. My goodness, who wouldn't be frantic to save their children? And yet she is unsure where to turn. So what does she do? The word of God says she cries out to Elisha for help. And this is what he says. How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? And her response is, your servant has nothing there at all except a little oil. Now, in the original language, a little oil is actually the description of a little vial of oil. Not even a small jar, but a little vial of oil. This is the vial of oil that we use here for anointing and prayer, according to James chapter 5, when we pray for people. It's not a lot of oil. It's just enough to be able to anoint someone with the sign of the cross on their forehead. It's a quarter of an ounce of oil. That is what she has in her house. I have a little oil, Elisha. Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. And so she did exactly as Elisha told her. She obeyed the man of God. She didn't ask for just a few. She took every empty jar in the neighborhood, such that in verse 6, when she finally asked her son for one more jar, he said, there are none that are left. What did she do with all these empty jars? She did exactly what Elisha told her to do. She did what she could with what she had, and she watched God do the rest. Did you hear that? She did what she could with what she had, and she watched God do the rest. Elisha said, go inside, shut the door behind you and behind your sons. Pour the oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put them to the side. And so she did exactly that. She went into the house, shut the door, and started pouring oil from her vial into her neighbor's jars. Can you just imagine this? She goes in and she shuts the door, the place is filled with jars, every jar in the neighborhood that wasn't in use. She's got a vial of oil, and she starts pouring the oil into all the jars in her house. Now, one of the strange things about this story is the emphasis on make sure you shut the door. What's the big deal, Elisha? 
Why must she shut the door? I want you to notice that he did not go with her. When she went into that room and she shut that door, it was the widow, her two sons, and there was one other person there, but he couldn't be seen, and that was Almighty God. The reason she went in there and she shut the door and Elisha didn't go along and no one else was there is so that no one could take credit for this miracle except God alone. This was not a sleight of hand magic trick on the part of a prophet. This was the mighty power of God entering into the life of this woman. And here's the miracle. Look at the word of God. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring and pouring and pouring. And when the last jar in the neighborhood was filled, the word of God says, the oil stopped flowing. So with jars in every corner of her house, she found Elisha again, and she told him what had happened. Now there is no indication in the Bible that Elisha was surprised. He knew God, and he knew the plan. And so this is what he says to the woman. Go, sell the oil, and by the way, oil was like gold. You can make a bundle of money from oil. Go, Sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on what is left. She was not only debt-free, but she had a divinely funded 401k that took care of her and her sons for the rest of their lives. Now, I want to tell you something. I love this story. I absolutely love this story. And if you've listened to this story you may be thinking that it has some comparison to a couple New Testament stories. That's where my mind went as I studied it. In the New Testament, Jesus fed 4,000 and then 5,000 using just a few loaves and a couple fish. This story falls into the category of the miraculous and marvelous provision of God, where indeed little is much when God is in it. You know that phrase? Say it with me. Little is much when God is in it. It was in the case of Jesus feeding the 4,000 and Jesus feeding the 5,000, and it is in this case as well. A little bit of oil, and God pays a debt, sets a woman free, saves her sons from bondage, and provides for a bright future. It is a wonderful story of God's power. Now, when I went to seminary, I was taught that every time I preach and teach the Old Testament, I should do it from the perspective of teaching you what we learn about God from the story. That's a great way to study the Old Testament. A lot of people struggle in studying the Old Testament stories. Every time you read a story or a passage in the Old Testament, sit back, say, what do I learn about God from this story? And as I started to do that on Monday, preparing for this message, I stopped and I said, wait a minute, I'm more curious, what did this woman learn about God? What did she learn? She is the one inside a room with a closed door. She is the one holding a vial of oil and watching this little vial fill up all the jars in the neighborhood. She had to have learned something. And so as you study the word of God, you begin to realize that by interpretation, this woman learned a lot. First of all, she learned that God hears a cry for help. God hears a cry for help. Half-brother of Jesus, James, writes in James chapter four, verse two, you do not have because you do not ask God. 
Uh, that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? You do not have because you do not ask God. Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter seven, verses seven and eight, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. This woman asked for help. And she asked the prophet of God, Elisha, but man, God showed up and she saw God answer her cry for help. Here's the truth. God helps us, God hears us, and he helps us when we cry out to him. And I'm wondering today, as we sit here, do any of you face right now a difficult situation in your life? And you know, the bottom line is you're kind of stymied into thinking, what am I gonna do? And I wanna ask you a second question. Have you asked for help? Have you asked God for help? I don't know about you, I know about me. I know that there are times in my life when I face a difficult situation, and because of the way I'm wired, because of my nature, I can be kind of a stubborn Dutchman when I wanna be. I can be a stubborn Dutchman when I don't wanna be, according to my wife, but I can be a stubborn Dutchman, period. And so what happens is that often I kind of switch into the gear, how am I gonna solve this situation? Because I like to solve problems. You know, I like to solve problems. So my natural go-to is to think about how I'm gonna solve it. And then I get like halfway through the struggle of figuring out how I'm gonna solve this, and I'm wrestling with this, and then it occurs to me, wait a minute, I haven't asked God. I have not asked God. Have you ever been in that situation? where you find yourself trying to solve a problem, maybe you've actually gone to other people, you've asked them, but you've never earnestly, sincerely asked God. Here's the deal. When you need help, ask God. Cry out to him. She made the right call. God answered her. Second thing she learned about God, she learned to trust God to provide. Now, many scholars look at this simple story and they say it's a story about trusting God. And sure enough, it is. That makes a whole lot of sense when you consider that the, the widow's response to Elisha was indeed a response of trust. I mean, Elisha's instructions are really strange. They are weird. Think about it. She says, I have a little oil. He says, good. Go get your neighbor's jars and start pouring. And she says, you're crazy. You're a typical man. Did you hear what I just said? You are not listening to me. I said I have a little oil. That's not what she said. He said, go get your neighbor's jars and start pouring. And she trusted and she obeyed. Her trust was real. In fact, she doesn't get enough credit. Her faith was great. I don't know if you thought about this, but the amount of oil she received was only limited by the number of jars that she collected. She could have easily gone to her neighbors to her right and left and maybe the one on the other side and the other side and just knocked on their doors and gotten the jars just from the immediate neighbors. She didn't do that. There was not one jar left because she did exactly what she was told she collected every jar in the neighborhood. She trusted and she obeyed. Thirdly, by trusting and obeying, she learned that God is powerful, able to do more than we ask or imagine. Best sentence in this story, 
they brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. I think no one was more surprised than this woman. I mean, I would have been. How about you? Holding this vial, and it keeps coming and coming and coming, and it defies any explanation. This should not happen. I wonder if at some point along the line, she held it up and said, where, where, is there more in there, you know? You have to wonder that. This reminds me of what God teaches us about himself in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. He is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Which is why I ask you to tuck away this biblical truth. Little is much when God is in it. Can you say that again with me? Little is much when God is in it. Look how much God blessed this widow. Incredibly, with just a little bit of oil. And here's the deal. Our God has not changed. We sing a song sometimes here called Same God. And when we sing Same God, we rehearse the stories of the Old and New Testament and his powerful work. When we sing that song, it is not just a song to sing, it is biblical truth. The same God who did this for the widow in 2 Kings 4 is the same God, friends. The exact same God who is at work in our lives today. The same powerful God that caused a little vial of oil to keep pouring is the same God if we ask him for his help. And if we believe and trust his answer, it's the same God who will powerfully work in our lives to show his will and his way. Sometimes I sit in my study and I, I wonder about how much of God's powerful blessings that I've missed in my life because I have believed things like I can't, I won't, I don't. I wonder that about you too. I wonder how many powerful blessings you may have missed in your life because you've come to believe about yourself, I can't, or you've come to take the position, I don't. I wonder how many powerful stories have not been written in my life because I've limited God and I've limited myself. Little is much when God is in it. Little is much when God is in it. 37 years in pastoral ministry. If I had a dollar for every time I shared the gospel with someone and their initial response was, that's not me. I can't be saved. Why? You don't know, Mike. You don't know. Oh my word, I'm not holy enough. I don't have enough faith. I can't be saved. What do you mean you're not holy enough? Well, God, God wouldn't want me. You have no idea the things that I did. 
Listen, God is not asking you to clean yourself up first. God is saying you come right as you are right now. And I want to do an incredible work in your life. I want to forgive your sin. I want to take away your guilt and your shame. I want to clean you up. I want to give you a brand new life. And, and I'm going to give you the assurance of eternal life along with it. You just come the way you are. Why well, do I have enough faith? I mean, I look around church and I see all these people and I, they believe more than I could possibly believe. I don't even know what's written from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. You don't need to. You don't need to know what's written from Genesis 1 to Revelation. Here's the deal. According to the word of God, if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart and believe in our heart and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Listen, you need faith the size of a mustard seed. You don't need the faith of the spiritual giants to be saved. You don't need to clean yourself up to be forgiven. You need to come with what you have and what you are, little as you think that might be, and God will do amazing work in your life. It breaks my heart to think about the barriers that people have put up thinking that they are not worthy or deserving of the salvation of Jesus Christ. But every one of us are invited to come to him. And when you do, you will discover as he saves you that little is much when God is in it. Now, what if you're a Christian? Well, let me just kind of meddle a little bit today. I want to step on some toes. Maybe, maybe not, I don't know. But meddling is fun, so let's do that, okay? First of all, I've noticed, I've just noticed this, that there are many Christians who do not have a daily quiet time with the Lord. And so basically what happens is they're pretty much dependent on week-to-week church in order to satisfy the spiritual needs of their life. And so basically then the word of God you get on Sunday carries you through till the next Sunday. And praying comes and goes, but it's not regular. Here's what God really wants. He wants you to spend time with him every day. He wants to have time with you where he can speak to you through his word and where you can talk to him through prayer. Now, one of the reasons that a lot of Christians do not have quiet times, one of the reasons, is because they view themselves as being too busy. I don't have time for it. And the reason they think they don't have time is because in their mind, they've created this idea that if I'm really going to do daily devotions and have a quiet time with the Lord, I need 30 to 60 minutes in order to do that. Because after all, I'm sure that's what the pastor has, and I'm sure that's what this person has and that person has. And so they built this up in their mind. And then they say, and, and, and I don't even, I read the Bible, but I don't even understand every verse, and I really should understand it if I'm going to read it, and I can't pray like Pastor David or Pastor Mike. And so as a result of that, they talk themselves out of a daily quiet time. Now let me tell you who is fueling those things. That's the devil. And let me tell you something. Why not start with five minutes, six minutes, seven minutes? Do you realize that five minutes a day gets you to 35 minutes a week, and that's better than zero. How's that for new math? Huh? And, and what do you do? 
How do you do that? Okay, well here, this is a really simple way to have a quiet time. Start in the Gospel of John. Has 21 chapters. Takes you through three weeks. After you finish there, go to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. People tell me they begin in Genesis. And you know it's okay, you can begin in Genesis, get to Exodus, but so many people die in the mildew and mold of Leviticus. It's a, it's a desert there, and they just kind of die, and they never pick up again. So I just want to encourage you, go to John, the vibrant life of Jesus, one chapter a day. Then when you read, after you've read, go to prayer. Prayer is conversation with God. Talk to him. Tell him what you're thankful for. Tell him what you want for your family. Name them one by one. Then tell him about your day and ask for his help. Go through your calendar. And when you're finished, you have just had a quiet time with God. You say, well, that's not much. Let me tell you something. I don't know if you ever heard this. Tell me if you have. Little is much. Do you know this one? Okay. Well, if you know it, go ahead and say it with me then. Don't sit there. Just say it. Little is much when God is in it. If you are willing to do that, God will powerfully work in your life. Then I've found that some Christians will say, well, I really don't have anything by which I can serve the Lord. So as a result, they're not serving Christ or the church. Why? Because they've talked themselves into believing that they don't have what other people have. And oh my goodness, if I could have another dollar for every time someone had said to me, well, I don't have what fill in the blank has. I can't do what fill in the blank does. Friends, you can, and you do. Listen, if God fearfully and wonderfully made you, let's just do a poll right now. How many of you have been made by God? Just raise your hand if you've been made by God. Okay, three quarters, that's good. Three quarters have been made by God. We're getting better, getting better. So if you've been made by God, you know what? He wired you for sound. He wired you for service. He wired you by giving you gifts and graces to do things for him in the church and in the world. So, you know, first year in ministry down in Baltimore, Rosedale Community Church, this dear woman, Michelle, comes to me, and she says, and she starts naming everybody in church. She says, I can't do this, I can't do that, I don't have this ability, I don't have that ability. She said, there's nothing I can do. I said, Michelle, that, that can't be true. Well, how do you know? I said, because I, God made you, and so he doesn't make mistakes. He made you, he made you to do something, you can do something. What do you like to do? I love to bake and cook. I said, okay, that's a good place to begin. I said, you love to bake and cook. She said, and I love when others are served and I see that their needs are being met. I said, great, we need a funeral meal coordinator here at Rosedale Community Church. Will you be that coordinator? For 13 years of my ministry there, she was the funeral meal coordinator. Can I tell you that Michelle was directly or indirectly responsible for over two dozen people coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus in 13 years in that church? Because when you serve funeral meals, you are meeting the needs of people at one of their most vulnerable and painful times in life. It is a high and holy calling. 
you are providing for them and their friends and family an opportunity to experience the comfort of God in a natural setting where we just share together around the table, eat together, and talk together. And when you take that burden off of them and say to them, listen, you don't need to worry about the meal, we will serve it, and we will take care of that, oh my goodness, there is a sigh of relief, and then when you see those people enjoying that, and as a result of that, Rosedale Community Church received into membership over two dozen people who eventually started visiting church, came to know Jesus, and when you would ask them, how did you come to know Jesus? Well, it all started at a funeral meal. I couldn't believe the church did that for us. And look what God did. Michelle, you are a hero. Well, I don't have that much. There's not much that I can do. Well, I don't know. Here's something I learned years ago. Maybe you learned it too. Little is much when God is in it. Let me continue there in Baltimore just a few more minutes. So there's a woman in our church in Baltimore named Carolyn Zielinski. She was 74 years old when she came to know Jesus. She said to me after she came to know Jesus, and if you've been here any length of time, you've heard this story, it's one of my favorite stories. After she came to know Jesus, she comes to me and she says, Mike, I want to help people know and follow Jesus, but I have nothing to offer. I don't know. I'm not a good public speaker. I don't know how to do that. And I don't know anybody who needs Jesus. I said, no, I think you do. No, I don't. I said, no, I think you do. And she said, well, really, where, where are they? Now, what's really cool about Carolyn is the way she came to Christ. So we go to Baltimore to start a church. We have 18 people. And I said to my 18 people, please tell me who you know who doesn't know Jesus, and even if you don't want to talk to them, I'll go visit them. Not one of the 18 people knew anybody. But the next day, my church treasurer, Glenn Martin, called me, and she said, I know someone who is a Lutheran, and I think she knows someone who doesn't know Jesus. I said, okay, who's the Lutheran? She said, Estelle Gronow. I said, what's her address? Gave me an address. I said, you call ahead, tell her I'm coming, I'm gonna go visit her. Knocked on Estelle's, I'm past from my, oh, I know you were coming. Glenn said that you're looking for people who don't know Jesus. I think that Carolyn Zielinski down on Odell Avenue doesn't know Jesus. I said, well, what makes you think that? Well, she was a Methodist, but she stopped going to church about two, well, three years ago, and she doesn't talk like she knows Jesus, so maybe you want to go down there and talk to her. So, okay, I went down to Odell Avenue. This is absolute. I mean, when you have 18 people and you've got to be full-time in two years, you do whatever you have to do, okay? So I'm down on Odell Avenue, knocking on the door. Unbelievable. Carolyn Zielinski opens the door. I say, I'm Pastor Mike Sigmund. I, I don't want any, and slams the door in my face. I wasn't, I didn't have anything to give her. I mean, except Jesus. So I knocked a second time. She comes to the door, opens it a crack. I said, don't slam the door. I'm Pastor Mike Sigmund, Rosedale Community Church. I know Estelle Gronow. You know Estelle Gronow. Yes, I know Estelle. Well, come on in. What do you have that you want to talk about? I said, I want to talk about Jesus in the church. Well, okay, you have about half an hour. I said, okay. And so I did. And I invited her to church. And she came the next Sunday. Then she came the next Sunday. Then she came the next Sunday. She finally came down the aisle. She prayed to receive Jesus as her Savior and Lord, 74 years old. So then we have this conversation about how she wants to help other people know and follow Jesus. And she says, I don't have anybody. I said, yes, you do. No, I don't. Yes, you do. And then she says, you know, when I was working, I used to do toy demonstration parties in people's homes. I said, okay. She said, I still have that little address book with their names and phone numbers. I'm going to call every one of those people and invite them to church. 
Nine years later, Carolyn Zelensky was responsible for personally leading 34 people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And it all started with her little address book with names and phone numbers. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Maybe you have. If you haven't, you have a short-term memory loss. <laughs> Ready? Little is much when God is in it. I don't know about you, but I wonder sometimes when we make an announcement that we need to raise money for Malawi Bibles and we say that the Bible is $11 and it's a week and a half's wages in Malawi, I wonder sometimes how many Christians hear that and they say, oh, I can give us $11, that's not much. I'm sure there are others who can give more. And so they're paralyzed and in action. They don't give $11, they don't give anything. I was thinking the other day, just imagine if one-third of our worshiping congregation was able to give, or didn't dismiss that, and gave $11. Now, God has blessed the Malawi Bible campaign incredibly. But what I'm getting at is, don't listen to the devil tell you that your $11 is too little, and it won't make a hill bean of difference. Because suppose one-third of our people said, yeah, my $11 won't make a difference. Right there is 500 Bibles to 500 Christians. $11 with inflation is what buys you a meal at Chick-fil-A if you upgrade to large. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and it's the word of life for Malawan family. Don't dismiss what you think is little because you know what? Maybe you do know this. <laughs> Little is much when God is in it. What a joy and a privilege it is every 915 service to have seated over here in this section, always in the center on the aisle, Pastor Will and Barbie Martin. For those of you who are new to Grace Community Church, Pastor Will and Barbie are our founding pastoral couple. They were the ones who pioneered Grace Community Church, and they were here on the very first Sunday this church met, August the 13th, 1995. We met, they met, in a building that no longer exists at the corner of Peach Bonner Road and Beaver Valley Pike in half of that building. That building was torn down for the medical center. There were no chairs, so everybody brought their own chairs. There was no nursery next to a keyboard that Barbie played as they sang that first Sunday was a blanket. And that's where the nursery was, Bob. You were there. Yes. Based on the cultural understanding of what works and doesn't work, one would say, you gotta be kidding, right? You're gonna plant a church in John Thomas's empty car museum. You have to bring your own chair. The kids are gonna be on a blanket next to where the preacher is. And you're gonna do all that by leaving this beautiful building that you have 
with parking lots and people in the city and you're gonna come out here, you are kidding, aren't you? You did hear what I said, didn't you? I only have a little vial of oil. Yeah, I heard it. I don't know if you're aware of this. Have you ever heard it before? (laughs) Little is much when God is in it. Thank you, Pastor Will and Barbie Martin, for having great faith to believe that all the jars in the neighborhood could be filled if we simply trusted and obeyed. So what story of his power does God want to write out of your life? Don't say I can't. Don't say I don't. And please don't say I won't. Trust him with what you think is little and obey him. And you will learn that little truly is much when God is in it. Let's pray together. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm compelled to revisit that just that one illustration from the message today about salvation. And if you are here and you are one who has been putting off what you know you need to do, and that is surrender your life to Jesus. If you're here and, and you know, you know, and you believe that Jesus died for you on the cross and rose again and God's power raised him from the dead, then isn't it time to tell him that? to exercise what faith you have even though you think it's small and to trust Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of your life and experience his full and great salvation. He wants you to believe in him and on him. With heads bowed and eyes closed tonight or this morning, I ask you, are there any here who are ready today to surrender your life to Jesus and receive from him the gift of salvation, to stop putting it off, to stop making excuses, but to trust him as Savior and Lord of your life. And if that's your desire today, I invite you where you're seated to pray this prayer of salvation to receive Christ. Jesus, I believe that you died for me on the cross and I believe that you are alive today. Jesus, I confess you as my Lord I believe that God raised you from the dead. And Jesus, I ask you to forgive my sin and take it away. I receive your gift of salvation and I receive the new and eternal life that you want to give to me. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for making me your child. Thank you for changing my life. Thank you for giving me that faith to believe and trust. And it's in your name today I pray. Lord, I thank you for those who prayed that prayer. And I pray that they would 
experience overwhelming the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, confirming that they are your children. And it's in the strong name of Jesus that we pray. And all God's people said,